0: Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Join me this evening, we welcome Three Moves Ahead founder, Troy Goodfellow. Hello. And we've also got GamesBeat's 1990s cultural retrospective commissioner, Rowan Kaiser. Commissar, actually. Okay, now, now you want the Commissar title. The first yeah, time yeah. you are like, no, 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 like, get my title right. But now, <laughs> now it's kind of grown on you. Now you kind of want to wear the party armband. Right, right. That or Grand Vizier. That's true, but like, if, I, if I name you a Grand Vizier, like your murderous betrayal is pretty much guaranteed like any minute now. Uh, I, mean, there's it, a... I feel like that's true for Commissar also. I mean, that's true. When I think of Commissar, I do think of like, Soviet officers being led away into the woods to be murdered. <laughs> but uh, Grand Viziers just some, somehow seem more treacherous about the entire thing. But maybe that's just uh, Prince of Persia and Aladdin scaring me more than they should have as a child. Uh, anyway, speaking of when I was a child, uh, tonight we're going um, to be journeying back 25 years to 1993, uh, late last year we had a retrospective on 1997, but the other day Rowan, uh, made a pretty daring suggestion in our through as a head group chat, uh, which was that, I think you said 1993 might be gaming's greatest year. Uh, so I, I did what I always do when, when Rowan says something, uh, extraordinary I convened this quorum uh, so that we can interrogate him and figure out uh, why he's so wrong. Uh, But, Rowan, you want to sort of set the stage here a little bit and why this year has sort of been standing out in your mind for basically since we started talking about doing these uh, yearly retrospectives?
1: Yeah. uh, What's happening in 1993 is sort of the end of the... um, I I don't know that I haven't figured out the best term for it, but there's a, a sort of genre remaking in the mid '90s where all the old genres kind of get pushed aside, and all the new genres that are largely what we're still playing uh, start to be forged. And we we saw this when we did '97, where we were seeing you know the real time strategy uh, genre become absolutely huge then. And we're we're not going to be talking about conventional RTSs for just four years before. We're going to be talking about the things that were kind of the prototypes for that. It's a it's a transitional year, uh, the first one of that remaking, maybe. Um, anyway, the technology at this point is uh, in a place where really good things are happening with the people who are able to take advantage of making them, by which I mean specifically uh, the mouse, the CD, and the... Uh, uh, VGA and Super VGA video cards. Mm-hmm. One of the games that uh, we're probably not going to be talking about too much, but uh, is absolutely critical for game developers who are taking advantage of the mouse, is Ultima 7. Uh, the second half of that, Serpent dial was released in 1993. This was one of the first games that assumed that everyone had a mouse and built everything around that mouse specifically. So you have uh, what eventually becomes kind of the convention of the left-click for interact and right-click for move. Um, this, is, this is present in these, these ultimas of the you Know 92 and 93, uh, in a way that you know everything had been done. Keyboard and the mouse was like a supplement before then. Um, graphics are getting way better. The game that stands out for making this maybe the greatest ga- year in gaming history is Doom. Uh, you know, it's like five years after side scrolling became possible on the PC, and then all of a sudden you have Doom out there. Uh, just you know, a sh- shot of adrenaline and the creating the biggest genre in video games since then, pretty much.
0: Yeah, actually, like, you know, last time we when we talked about 97, uh, we ended up maybe talking about the wider context and the the standout games outside strategy toward the end of that show a little more. But I feel like, yeah, with 1993, it almost behooves us to sort of just look at what these signal moments are were for that year and what they sort of meant for the direction of games uh before we start drilling down into uh you know yeah. into, into strategy and wargaming, and certainly doom is the game that sort of launches like really sort of is critical in setting the direction of what uh modern gaming would would look like uh after, yeah. after 1993.
1: i uh, did i have done a couple lists actually where i like Rate the most influential games of all time and I just don't see a way not to have doom at number one um you have all the multiplayer stuff you have the entire genre you have all the the controversy surrounding it it's it's socially and um technically and as a game just monumental on, in every direction like there, there's no way around doom
0: yeah and I think that also contributes to the fact that like when you look at what comes out 90- 1993 is, you know, when, when we're looking at this list of all the notable games that came out that year, um, it's a mind-boggling variety of games in some right. ways. Like, it is a really vibrant uh, industry at this point. And, it, you know, that, that ebbs and flows with time. Uh, I would argue it's, it's still been a pretty vibrant industry of late. But uh, for sure in 1993, it's no longer that it, – it is not yet the case that, like, everything stands in relation to like these few super mainstream genres uh, and everything else is sort of falling into niche status. Right. But like doom is right there at the top of the list and that's going to become, it's going to exert an almost like gravitational pull uh, across the industry as everyone spends basically the you know next five years uh, trying to find a way to make their doom uh, in, yep. in, in a lot of ways. Um, uh-huh. And that, means that a lot of games, a lot of genres that uh, you know, are really well represented in 1993 uh, are going to start, it's going to become a little bit harder to do games like
1: those uh, in, in the future. Um, to, to take just a little survey of some of the games we're talking about here, the variety includes NBA Jam, Secret of Mana, Gabriel Knight 1, Mega Man X, uh, Day of the Tentacle, NHL 94, uh, Gunstar Heroes, betrayal at crondor uh just like we're all over the place here with freddy Farkas,
0: frontier pharmacist yeah th- this we is just... this, this By is the also way, though, like it's a weird era you can make a fucking game <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's a pretty mainstream game yeah um, Forgotten Realms Unlimited Adventures, like that's this is the the creation kit for SSI's big RPG system that they they're winding down at this point. So you, you've also got the the sort of potential creativity being added. Um, the other thing I wanted to add, uh, well, there are two two quick things. Um, the in addition to the PC stuff that's sort of maturing in terms of the the video and uh, the control schemes. Uh, the Super Nintendo and Sega Genesis are, you know, they're mature at this point. People are making the best games for those systems. And we'll be talking about a couple of those, particularly, like, tactical strategy RPG types. Um, and the other thing is that this is right before or at the start of a major business consolidation. Um mm-hmm. I mentioned Ultima. Ultima 7 was the first Origin game that uh, uh, was made under EA's auspices. Uh, they hated it so much that they made two of the main villains called Elizabeth and Abraham, always in that order. Uh, Origin would wow. be a shell of itself within a couple of years. Um, this sort of corporate consolidation is also happening with uh, one of the big sports games of the year, NHL 94, which is... EA Sports moving on from just doing Madden to uh, taking over the entire sp- sports landscape, which it has very successfully done and uh, made specific licensing an essential part of that story. And there's there's a bunch of other sports games this year that are really interesting. Uh, and Troy, I think, wanted to talk about a few of those on the strategic end. But uh, NHL 94 stands out as being like, oh, here's where EA Sports becomes... You know, an unstoppable force.
0: Troy, I'm curious. Um, you know, at you know, at the time, were you swept up in this as well, or were you already pretty firmly committed to like you were a strategy guy and shooters didn't really do it for you? Like were were you were you like so many people, uh, you know, passing around shareware copies of, of Doom or uh maybe less than legal uh <laughs> Uh, floppies of, of the full game?
2: 93 was an important year for me. I mean, personally, personally it was a transitional year. Uh, it was my last year of undergrad uh, at St. Thomas University in Fredericton, New Brunswick, where I played a lot of computer games of pretty much every kind of genre you can think of with my uh, college friends on their computers. So there was a lot of Doom. There was NHL 94 on console, all those kinds of stuff. So we played pretty much everything. And then in the fall, I went to graduate school in Toronto, I did not have my own computer. I had to rely on what was uh, in the college uh, computer. And there was one game, and it was Myst. Um, so it's kind of, wow, this is, this is weird. Um, it's, Myst, I think, is, it's, it's, when people finally write the long-term history of uh, this hobby and this, and this industry, Myst is going to fill, fill a very interesting slot. Um, this is a time when the Sierra adventures are kind of winding down. Uh, you have, you know, you have another space quest come out this year. I think and I think there are only a couple of more after that. But you know, the traditional Sierra uh, type of games are kind of on their way out. You have, you still have LucasArts Potter around doing its thing, but the sophisticated adventure gamer is going on these textless, contextless. Clicking on things, you'll see Myst, you'll see a few more, you'll get other smaller studios trying to grab onto this. And the selling point is, I mean, the, the line people want to disparage Myst say, well, they just sold Myst with computers to show off the CD-ROM. And that is yes,
1: Wait, but. That's also true it for, is, you know, Mario, and we call yeah, that and, a great it game. Is,
2: yeah. Exactly. I mean, I'm not not sure... I'm saying this is a great game, uh, because I'm not sure it is. But it was a game that sold very well, and the fact that it could show off uh, the the CD-ROM was kind of the point. Um, It was a beautiful, not quite... wasn't photorealistic, but seeing it at the time was... it was like moving paintings. It was stuff you would would read about in Harry Potter ten years later. It was really amazing uh, to walk into that space, and you could kind of see... What the CD-ROM made possible uh, for games. Now, at the time, I was still mostly interested in strategy games and war games, but I'd left most of those behind uh, with my <coughs> with my undergraduate friends in New Brunswick. So there wasn't, I didn't ha- have Master Variety anymore. I didn't have my uh, strategy games. Most of the great strategy games in '93, I came back to much, much later when I felt when I really, really got into it stuff that I'd find online or I'd find in a bargain bin later. Uh, But 93 marks a very significant year, I think, as Rowan said, for, you know, the business reasons, the technological reasons, and the genre-shifting reasons, and you can see so much... You can see kind of around, you get to see the concept, the effects of the 95 releases, the effects of the Dooms and the Mists. You see them very quickly afterwards. You see them in late 94, you'll see them in early 95. Uh, I'm not sure when you get Quake, but you get, you know, everyone trying to make Doom, but it looks good uh, sort of thing. And that's where you get your Doom and your Mist uh, smashed up together. You get your peanut butter and your chocolate, people trying to make a really good looking. Kind of realistic appearing uh, world to go and shoot people in, and that was ho- and and th- that became really the holy grail uh, for computer games for PC games for a long time. You look at the magazines uh, from the mid '90s after Doom comes out and after Mist comes out, and so many of the covers are dedicated to first-person shooters and how they look. And you hear you we begin seeing a greater push uh, in magazines and in what passed for websites uh, in the early nineties that would emphasize you know what are your computer specs. You know, you'd see this great push for computer I mean computer games had always been seen as part of the tech world, but in the 90s you see an even bigger push where these are technology and the you have to have the right machines to run these. And it becomes a very much a Mechanical way of looking at games uh, in a, a certain way. And I think that pushed the industry in certain paths through the mid and late 90s that ended up crowding out a lot of other genres. You see this burst of, this amazing burst of creativity through the early 90s. You know, maybe you see it culminating in 93. I think it peaked a little bit earlier, in 89 to 91. Um, but you do see some really great stuff coming out, certainly in 93, 94. But these the big giant hits of this period do what big giant blockbuster hits do, and they end up constricting the space. And when you add that to the corporate consolidation, you get a very, very different game world in 1995 than you had in 1991. In four years, the number of games available, the types of games available, changed dramatically because of the huge revolutionary hits. There's, well, there's
0: one other thing I wanted to dig into. Uh, a little bit because I'm trying to remember if this was this there from the start or did it appear later? Do you both remember there being this almost like it wasn't quite, it was, it was sort of the same spirit of the console wars, right? Like uh, Sega versus Nintendo, but it was around doom and mist. Like I seem to remember, but I don't remember if it was like this 93 or if it came later, but like mist became the shallow, like picture book game that uh, not real gamers uh, played. Uh, real gamers were playing uh, games like Doom uh, in, in some ways, or like, or at least like missed by virtue of its popularity and the fact that it was this really uh, like sparse, uh, gorgeous, but like kind of empty game uh, in some ways, and, and like solitary is perhaps yeah, but, the better but, word but, there. But
2: you <laughs> see, I, I, I saw, the, I heard it the other way. Doom is empty calories. It's your Rambo game. Mist makes you think. Mist is a grown up game.
1: See, I heard it a completely different way, which is that Doom and Mist are the things that are making things shallow. And we're losing, you know, the traditional adventure games to Mist. We're losing the great strategy games and variety or it just, you know, any game that's not an action game to Doom. There there is a kind of Culture War here, but it's not as set up as uh the you know The console wars pick pick your side on doom or mist yeah um uh, i like i read computer gaming world regularly in this era and they hated mist i mean they they like liked mist okay as a game but they hated the idea of mist and they thought that mist was doing what you were talking about uh of becoming the center of gravity that everything was swirling around which it sort of did for a while and especially did to adventure games but it did not end up having the long-term effects that doom did uh, but they they hated just how much attention that a relatively mediocre game was getting uh this is I still have not actually played mist in part because I believed them when they were saying these things uh but this is this these are the sorts of arguments that were made you know they would have they were into Gabriel Knight and day of the Tentacle, which were two of the big things here
2: n h l ninety four is the best game of ninety nine
1: <laughs> well, our Canadian has spoken. No, it's, I mean, it's it's a, might be, it's, it might
2: be. It is a simple fact. It is an absolute fact. And, and NHL 94 is, I think one of the most important games, EA's important sports games EA has ever made. Uh, and, you know, people still, I know my, my hockey fans still reference it in the way the football fans might reference Madden. That's, that's an NHL 94 goal. When you do the wraparound, mm-hmm. and you squeeze it past the goalie. That's an NHL you could always do. It's hard to do in real life, but when you do it, that's an NHL 94 goal.
1: Yeah. Uh, Kotaku just published an article saying that the last player from NHL 94 has finally retired um, yeah. with Garamir Yager's uh, hey, he, in he's still playing.
2: He is still playing the Czech Republic. Yep. He's not <laughs> he's retired. Played really like like the okay. skates.
1: He's out of the NHL though, which is, you know, the name of the game. So yeah, it, it has, it has a hold over uh, a lot of people and it's a fairly deserved hold. I just, you know, God, there are so many great games this year.
0: This is um you should look up in not to not not to you know re- read my website uh but like last year we had a had a writer a sports writer do a feature for us on the nineteen ninety four community that still exists, and there's still like a pretty robust online community, which is interesting because it didn't have online play obviously yeah. uh so they've like really hacked together these uh like Fascinatingly tricky setups to allow people to play uh, on play NHL ninety four uh, remotely versus each other, and there's still leagues. Uh, but NHL ninety four is an interesting thing because I think it's a perfect perfect example of um something Bruce brings up a lot on this show, which is like the early nineties of the sweet spot between like simulation and then the limitations of the hardware. Um. So you can you you have things that feel about as authentic as someone can figure out how to make them in the early nineteen nineties, but like the hardware just won't support hardware and, and, and displays to an extent, just won't support a level of granularity and depth and flexibility uh past that. Um and NHL ninety four, I think, is a game that sort of demonstrates vividly demonstrates like how that worked right like nhl 94 for some reason even though it is a very uh it's it's a very janky and imperfect representation of hockey in some ways still like as i understand it like the loyalists to that to to that uh game it still feels weirdly authentic to hockey and especially 1990s hockey in a way that a lot of like later high fidelity simulations uh, just have never quite recaptured.
2: And there are people who still think Earl Weaver baseball was the best baseball game ever. I mean, it's just, it's not entirely true, but there's a lot, a lot of people, NHL 90, 1994 was a good year for hockey, and it was a good year for that game to come out. Um, and it played really, really well, and it was fast, and it was fun. Um, it's probably not as good as the current EA offerings, but I don't have, I'm, I'm too old they're real
0: hard to, to play, man.
2: I mean, I've, I've got a friend who's older than me, and he plays them all the time, and he's good at them, but he's also been playing them for the last, you know, 15 years. I have not. If I were to jump right in, I would be lost. So lost.
0: Yeah, it gives you a lot of ways to express the nuances of the game, uh, which can be a little bit tricky to master, uh, given that it basically has... It swaps between like three or four control interfaces seamlessly, uh, depending on the exact context of that moment it's It's pretty tough. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about adventure games just real quick because I think they end up in an
1: interesting place here yeah this uh, is this is probably the best year for adventure games that I can imagine
0: yeah and. I think well, I mean, for me, like probably my favorite adventure games like do end up coming later. I'm a big fan of the uh, you know the CD era uh, is (laughs) for all its ups and downs. uh, I do love me a good CD ROM adventure that comes in a uh, a book of like 14 different discs. Uh, Give me that. (laughs) Give me that ridiculous like unfolding phantasmagoria uh, contraption. But uh, yeah, like there. They, too, are at this crossroads. Like, how do we, how do we modernize? How do we, how do we stay relevant? And interestingly, like, I think LucasArts end up outlasting everybody because they end up being the most conservative. They don't rush to, like, go to the interactive movie direction. Uh, but around this time, that is definitely the way things are headed. Like, we get the first Gabriel Knight game. Uh, which is a very traditional point and click uh, adventure. But for the rest of that series, it's going to be reactive. It's going to be looking at where technology is at and trying to harness it so that Gabriel Knight uh, is always on the cutting edge of technology. So the next Gabriel Knight game is going to be a very involved uh, interactive movie. Um, and then the last one is going to be a sort of disastrous 3D engine uh, game, but like Adventure games are starting to feel this pressure to, like, they're, they're, the, they're the genre. And perhaps Myst is exerting this pressure. They're the genre that can best cat, like reach the goal of like photorealism before anybody else. So, obviously, that's the direction to go. Uh, and in retrospect, probably not the best direction for the genre.
1: Yeah. Uh, there's a really interesting set of different adventures here where we have very traditional ones like Gabriel Knight and Day of the Tentacle and also have Mist, and also have uh, some of the early uh, uh, full-motion video adventure games like The Seventh Guest and uh, Return to Zork, I believe. Um, so you've oh, that's got right. this... Return to Zork is
0: very uh, cutting-edge at that time.
1: Yeah, So so you've got all these people trying to take this genre that, you know... For younger people it may be hard to believe but this was once considered the most vibrant and important genre of video games or specifically computer games they would have been distinct from video games at this point um this was where the best stories were supposed to be told and this was the genre that was going to take the most advantage of the new technology uh two of my favorite sierra games are this year gabriel knight and quest for glory 4 but I actually most vividly remember playing their later incarnations on the CD-ROM, which had the full voices. Uh, Gabriel Knight had Mark Hamill and Tim Curry, mm-hmm. and uh, Quest for Glory 4, I believe, was the debut of Jennifer Hale. Uh, so, like, th- these things are very memorable. Uh, but I also, I don't think I played Gabriel Knight on disc, but I definitely got Quest for Glory 4 on disc. And, uh, you know, that's that's not the one that's in my m- mind. Um there are some of the strategy games we're going to be talking about uh, also got like full CD-ROM versions that came out a couple of years later that, you know, had these enhanced editions of these classic games that uh, that becomes a major thing is that the games that are, you know, almost there at this point become the CD-ROM games a year or two later and in some cases get fixed and improved. Like Quest for Glory 4 was super buggy, uh, but eventually became
0: playable. Last thing I'll say here is like and, and Troy alluded to it, I do feel like this is the era like maybe it was always tricky to make computer games run, but like after nineteen ninety three, you're really interesting you're really entering like the prime years of the uh
1: config.sys.
0: Yeah, config.sys and recommended specs versus minimum
1: requirements. Uh like playing that little bingo game. Uh, trying to uh, figure out what you which um, emulation of your sound card is actually going to work versus the sound card you actually own. That was always fun as a pro audio spectrum owner.
0: Yep. No. And, and that's, and that's the thing is like, basically until windows 95 comes along, and even it didn't really solve much of this stuff until, uh, it had gone through seconds. a few. Yeah. Basically like it's not until then that you start getting a little more, uh, What was the word they would use for it? It was like plug and play or whatever. Yeah, Uh, But like like, at that point, it does start to become slightly more predictable that like when you install a game, it's going to run. But like in 1993, it's the first year where I can vividly remember uh, both starting to really have to like uh, get up close and personal with my computers. Like, uh, yeah, uh, config files. And also, it's an era where you can totally make things run on a computer that have no business running on that computer, right? Like, there are a lot of games from this era that I remember playing, but I remember them running at, like, five frames a second. And it was just, like – and that was cool. I was just, like, happy that it was running at all, right? I got to be part of it. Uh, But it was definitely an era where this is where I think PC gaming really starts to develop – it's completely inaccessible reputation because the standards are changing fast and just making the stuff run uh, is becoming really, really, like, it, it requires a skill set in itself. That said, let's start digging into, uh, start digging into the, uh, the the strategy games of the era. And I got here on my list, bet, like, man, like talking about management and city builder games. Uh, and it seems like we have a, a little debate to settle
1: uh, up front with this. Right. We're going to start with SimCity, I assume? I assume. Or are we? What's What's going on there, Rowan? I I thought we could go with Master of Orion first, because that's a good segue to the things that, from the things we were talking about there, uh, where, you know, you're talking about these these giant games that are exerting kind of a generic pressure all over. And uh, that's happened with the strategy genre, which... Is not, you know, five years before this, uh, it's kind of the strategy war game genre, and the two things are so all mixed up. But when Civilization comes out a couple years before this, Civilization, like, plants a flag and says, This is what a strategy game is, and everything is kind of in response to Civilization. Uh, and the first game that kind of reinforced. Uh, definitely reinforced i should stop saying kind of so much uh the first game that definitely reinforced that the civilization model was the dominant model of strategy games that comes out a couple years later is mass Over Ryan, which is you know marketed and plays as civilization in space so we're getting the the, the framework of the 4x genre is Becoming its you know own building, and we've we've had a lot of discussions on this show about how, particularly, the Space 4X game has become only about Master of Orion. Uh, but Master of Orion was
2: damn special at the time. Well, it's not just you know setting the foundations of what the 4X game would be. It is when the 4X name, game is born, because there isn't a 4X genre until Master of Orion comes out. There's Civilization. That's it. And Alan Emrich figures out we need a term for these types of games. And it's a response to Master of Orion that he coins the term 4X. Right. Uh, so it is literally the birth of the term, because once you have two, you can have a genre. Um, Master of Orion's a weird game because yeah, it's certainly very important. And, you know, I've got an nasty I'm working on about it's how why Master of Orion casts a longer shadow on strategy games than Civilization does. The so Civilization is a much, much better game because uh, no one's, no one's trying to make another civilization. People have always been trying to make another Mass of Orion. It's
1: maybe uh, because so some, it's not as good a game.
2: <laughs> well, it's been like 25 years, guys. Yeah. I mean, uh, and, but people talk more about Mass of Orion 2. Uh, it is a game that's been outshone by its immediate sequel, and Mass of Orion 2 is what, 95, 96? Yeah. Something like that. Uh, so its sequel is, I think, held up as a better game. I think it is a better game than Master of Orion. I, 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 I could dispute
1: to... that, but I
2: would. Yeah, yeah, I, I, mean, would. It, it's, yeah. yeah I, I think it's I think it's a better game. I think it's a more polished game. Uh, Master Ryan is certainly significant. Um, it is, I mean, it is probably the most important game, strategy game on this list of the strategy games that came out based on just its its history and its canonicity, and I'm not convinced it's the best game on the 1993 list, even though the 1993 list of strategy games really isn't full of classics. I mean, this isn't like the 97 list, where we had some really tough calls to make all the way through it, and what is the best this, and what is the best that. 1993 for strategy is you know, relatively thin on classics. The Massive Orion is kind of... The one undisputed classic of 1993. The other undisputed classic game of this year might not even be from this year, uh, which we'll have to settle quite shortly. But I mean, Master Ryan really does stand out, um, and it is you know so self-consciously Civilization in space, but it has a little bit more of it's got some imagine got some imagination to it, I think, and the, it has a, the factions are more differentiated than you have in Civilization which becomes a big pattern all the way through space games. You have to have the ant. Which of our race is the ants? Which of our race are the Vulcans? Which of our races are which? You have this sort of differentiation through the Mass of Orion series that you didn't get in the original Civilization. Uh, uh, That's something that
1: went back into Civilization starting with Civ three.
2: Yeah, you know, well, it was always kind of there. Uh, civilizations did have personalities, but they didn't necessarily. They didn't, uh, but their personalities just affected how they would, how quickly they would expand, or more, how likely they were to make peace.
1: Right with, uh, on the AI uh, but, but then, but...
2: yeah. But, was, but then with but then, yeah, but the three, and from there on out, we get factions that have characteristics. Uh, which Master of Orion had always had, which every sci-fi game that followed on Master of Orion insisted on. Now it's almost inconceivable to think of a 4X game that didn't try to separate the factions in some sort of interesting way um, or in some kind of random way, uh, as we do in Stellaris, which some people like and some people don't.
0: So... I remember um, Paul Dean and I were talking about uh, I think it was one of our many through the head episodes on on Wii in space. Um, but I remember Paul Dean and I ended up talking about Master of Orion one versus two. And I think we both ended up feeling like Master of Orion one. Going back to it today from the perspective of today and, and that context uh, becomes like holds up better in some ways because uh, Master of Orion 2 is the game we've seen a million versions of uh, by this point. You know what I mean? Like if you go back to Master of Orion 2 now, you have seen people take that idea and iterate on it and push it. uh, Maybe not as far as it needed to go, but you've seen, you've seen just about every version of that base game uh, that you can imagine. And so if, if you go and play it, you're seeing basically the rough draft of what a lot of other games have turned into a cottage industry. Master of Orion 1, you go back, and it hasn't been codified as much. It, it, it's, a little, it's a little stripped down. I think its focus is a little clearer on the things that matter, or at least the things that matter to me as, as a player. Uh, whereas it felt like in Master of Orion 2, it's starting to get into that um, wouldn't-it-be-cool-if bloat. That often defines the space forex, X, right? Well,
1: uh, like, let's let's talk a little bit about what these specific distinctions are, because I know the ones that I, you know, think are the key differences between Mu One and Mu Two, but I I, I want to hear what you think those are uh, specifically.
0: Yeah, I think um, like I think for me, one of the big things is that Master of Orion One is simply less interested in. It's less fixated on the spaceship, uh, I guess is the is the way I yeah. would put it. Master Orion knows what it's about. It's a strategy game. You you are you are a fleet commander. You think as an admiral does. Uh, it's about numbers. It's about power. It's it's about the nation, and ships matter in this story, but they are not like they are not the toy you are there to play with. What you're there to play with is the space empire itself. Right. That's that's what the game is about. Uh, uh-huh. Sort of exploring and clashing in space.
1: The battles, specifically in Master of Orion Two, you have each individual ship that's moving, and you know you these these long, intri- intricate tactical battles. Uh, in Master of Orion One, I believe every class of ship is combined into like a, a single abstract thing with it's numbers.
0: Like a, it's like a card. Yeah, it's it, yeah. Fleets, the fleets are basically like cards that you add numbers to, uh, and yeah. So it's it's not like. There's this idea that like, ah, my battle cruisers are in the front line. That's not really what this game is about.
1: Yeah. Uh the the other key difference that I remember is in uh the sort of racial creation or empire creation. Uh Master of Orion two has this really strong uh creation kit where you can decide, you know, is 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 my empire going to be psionic is my empire going to be built on industry so it kind of focuses the player on designing your initial race around a certain method of play um and master of orion one is you know you you can pick those empires but you don't have that customization which is also you know you don't have the customization of the ships at the same level uh which i know is a thing that we've complained about quite a bit but it, it feels less like um Massive Ride One feels less like it's about creating a uh, an entity that will dominate in the way that you want to dominate, and more about existing within a you know intergalactic system. Uh, I've probably told this story on the show before, um, but it's been a and while. Look, four hundred
0: fifty episodes or whatever it is, yeah, you can tell your stories again. <laughs> yeah,
1: uh, so my greatest memory of the first Master of Orion is I'm in like a uh, Seven Empire uh, uh, I don't know galaxy, I guess. Uh, and we're all pretty peaceful. Like, we all have alliances with each other at some point. Um, so everything's going pretty well uh, until it gives you one of those random events where like what an ambassador attempts to kill the leader of Uh, another country or another empire and uh that makes your um your relations with them degrade by a bit as one would expect but this one particular thing made those relations of one of those alliances degrade just enough that it just like split into world war one those those seven Empires went four three with the three being slightly more powerful, but obviously outnumbered, and uh, it turned into just this massive grind. It was this great example of emergent narrative that I don't feel like the later game specifically had, uh, and I have you know kind of been chasing that in the space 4x for years and years and years since. Um, you get that sort of thing. Even even sub civilization games have that kind of thing. Uh, not recently, but. Uh, Civ Two would have events like this. Uh, Paradox games are built around that feeling, you know. So that's a major reason that I like those. But it felt like I was part of a system that was, you know, an interesting combination of empires. And some of that I think is what in what you're talking about. That the focus of Mass of Orion One is about the empire as the main thing that you're doing, instead of like putting lasers on each individual ship. Um, it and having that kind of design focus means that you can have a lot more emergent gameplay, as opposed to uh, the sort of mechanical dominance that would come to define the genre later. I mean, that
0: said, I, I, like I have no trouble understanding why Master of Orion Two like took off and be like, I can understand why at the time, and probably in in con in, in its contemporary context. It is the better game in some ways, or at least the, the the more appealing one. But yeah, I feel like Master of Orion one sort of, still sort of stands out as like this. Oh, there were other there were other ways this genre could have gone, right? It was servicing other fantasies uh, at the start uh, rather than the ones that we've seen uh, sort of repeated thematically over the years. Um, I'm trying to think like. Are there other, like, in this era, like, are there many grand strategy games? Like, is, is, does Master of Orion have competition in this, in this period?
2: Depends how you want to define or how widely you want to cast the net of what a grand strategy game is. We have, um, most of them are kind of focusing. Have, I mean, the, the, the Warlords games kind of count in that yeah. you're recruiting armies to conquer. So we still have those, um, you know, does Lords of, do the Lords of the Realm games count? There's not really ex- any much exploration going on, but there really isn't in, you know, Warlords either. For, for grand strategy, you don't need exploration. You just need a map. Um, you have, you know, there, you have some of the Cinemaware games. You have what year does Centurion come out, 1991, 92? Yeah, that's a little earlier. And, and that's that's earlier. But really, the whole idea of I mean, civilization kind of kickstarts a kind of mini boom in this sort of uh, game, but the grand strategy games become trying to be like trying to be civish or mooish They yeah. become, I mean, 4X becomes the model of what a uh, grand strategy game is. Even, I mean, you see the effects. I mean, we talked about imperialism last. We talked about the 1997 year. And you know imperialism is another way to do grand strategy and it's really not quite a 4X, but it doesn't have many successors. It's just kind of a genetic dead end for the longest time. Um the 4X model is the model of what the grand strategy games look like because you know civilization people said well that that's how you do this. Um you know uh, it's uh so there really isn't much I mean, no, there's not much in 93. I don't think there's much going on in uh, 94 95 96 either for that matter
1: yeah well 94 you get both colonization and master of magic to really hammer that thing home right Um, yeah that's also when lords of the realm comes out which i'm a bit of a fan of but not going to like go to the mat and say we we really missed the boat on making that the the grand strategy model um i think the I wouldn't call it a competitor, but the sort of other direction that grand strategy might be going in the early 90s is when I talked about how strategy war games were um, uh, considered the same genre for a while. Uh, one of the offshoots of that were the when people started making fantasy war games. Um, stuff like Conquered Kingdoms or the War of the Lance. Uh, I believe were both late 80s. Conquered Kingdoms might have been 90, I think. But... Uh, You get a lot of people trying to figure out how to make, you know, a fantasy war game when war games are built around simulating real events, So this kind of takes them in a direction of making grand strategy games. Um, One of the games that I really loved in this time period, or really wanted to love, was Fantasy Empires, which is an SSI D&D game of, uh, you know, taking over a... D world as you know the elves or the hobbits or the humans and um it's not a great game it was a game that appealed to me a, a lot because it was just so had this big bold colorful fantasy world um i you know i'm still i'm still chasing the the great fantasy strategy game high as well uh endless legend has come close though that's nice uh but um you know you have games like fantasy empires and stronghold tries to do a totally different thing uh i think a couple years later um fantasy Empires is a
2: 1993
1: game yeah yeah that yeah I, i'm going down the list here
2: yeah just to clarify that for our audience because we've been jumping around a bit just want to clarify for them that fantasy empires is 93
1: yeah th- this is a formative game for rowan Um, it is not a great game it has like an arcade battle system where you take control of the most powerful unit in your army which is often like a hero and uh that that was not a great combination um but it was a game that you know i always wanted to have work uh work right
0: can i ask a question here uh because warlords 2 is on the list this list i know that we've been uh you know internally talking about covering that series a bit uh because you've got a lot of nostalgia and, and knowledge of, of the series uh but like is this is, is this sort of when the, the series is at, at its pinnacle or is this a lesser entry uh, like is, is this worth like taking part in this conversation
1: it's definitely worth it especially as you know when we're talking about the fantasy war game because this is a, a grand strategy game that's also built around kind of the aesthetics of a war game um uh, you're not your economy is basically you have a castle you're making gold that's it uh so it, it it's in it's in this same genre the the thing that i really liked about the warlord series for a while is that all all three of the good incarnations of it were all really solid in their era in a way that kind of fit their era um so it's it's as good to talk about as any of the others. Um, it's not an exceptionally, uh, it's not a game that you would have expected to like pass Master of Orion as the new model for things, but it's a, a really good, straightforward strategy game.
0: One of the other things I was looking at here, uh, this also seems to be the era of, um, and the era is ending uh For games like castles right uh, i was lo- I saw one game on the list here uh called walls of Rome and i never I never played it uh but looking at it, it for sure seems like yet another entry in that genre of like um well, we can easily construct large sprawling tile sets uh <laughs> so you can how about a game where you wall in your city and then waves of barbarians come and try to trash it uh and this very much seems to be trying to be like um well, really, it, it's kind of taking what Castles was doing and it's maybe pointing in the direction of where Lords of the Realm was going to go, right? Where it's it's trying to get a, a but, little more of a...
2: Well, a, Walls of Rome was a sequel to an earlier, early 90s game called Siege. Uh, Siege was a fantasy game uh, where you either defended a castle or attacked the castle. And that was it. You allocated your points, you built your army... And then you either defend your ca- defend the castle with the army you've got, or attack it with the army you've but
1: got. It was great. I love siege. Okay. I
2: loved siege. siege? It was amazing. Uh, I am not gonna. I'm never gonna diss siege. And had I had some. It's always nice to you know, be playing the evil side, and you have like you spend all your money on this one dark night, and you send him out to kick some butt. Once you finally, you know, get some ladders up on the wall, that was great. Walls of Rome was the historical sequel to that. Romans versus whomever. Uh, I think I just call them barbarians.
1: No, they they had different factions. You could be the the it's Celts so or the Persians since or, or whatever. Um, it's been
2: so long since i played I don't think there's a whole lot of difference, though, in the armies, as I recall. Uh, there was, but there, it's been so long since I've played Walls of Rome. I don't know as I, I don't, I don't many fond memories of Walls of Rome no. as I do of Siege, but, which I think was better. But it, I don't think it's really, like... In the, I understand what you mean by being kind of like castles, but it really is just build an army, build an army, and take something down. That's almost like t- t- tabletop wargaming. You're given so many points to build your army, and then you have to take the objective. Yeah, and that's really all there is to it. There's no campaign to it. There's no story. It's just here's a battle. Here are your points to spend. Here's the strategic situation, and go for it. I mean, it's a kind of game that's really. Starving for a good remake with multiplayer. I mean, that would just be amazing, right? Yeah. You know, to have so Walls of Rome was, but we it's the last. So we, we don't get anything after Walls of Rome. It is a we don't get any games like this. We get people trying to do the castles. We get the strongholds. Oh, let's just have people build the castle. People like building castles, and some of the stronghold games are good. Most of them are not, because the fun part about the castle isn't. Build yourself a marketplace and trade for some wood and fight off some minor attacks. No, people want to build castles so they can defend castles and take castles. That's what the extra text for the castle is. No one wants to build a castle to be a, no one wants a castle game to be about, you are a minor baron. No, you want to be a general. You want to be a crusader. You wanna be Saladin. You wanna be something huge, taking on something huge. That's what you know, Walls of Rome and Siege tried to capture, then captured better than a lot of the later games. Is all you want to do is is storm the walls.
1: <laughs> Troys get riled up here.
2: Um I I I have I, I it's a genre I'd like to see. No, no,
1: this is this is one of the reasons that I I made sure to have out here. Um what one of the reasons I like Siege is it, it's got a sort of meta uh meta textual large fictional universe where they're also in the magic candle universe so you can kind of go play through you go the castles that you're going and exploring in the magic castle 2 are the castles that you're like trying to conquer and siege uh the rpg strategy stuff world all really works together well i wrote about this a couple of years ago um and i think troy excitedly reshared it when i did um uh, but the, the main reason that I wanted to have this here is that uh, this was like an evolutionary direction that the uh, real-time strategy genre could have gone, and it didn't. And There's a lot of games that are like this here, um, uh, especially when we start talking about the tactics games. This idea that what you want to do, or all you want to do, is have this castle storming uh that troy was talking about is really something that i'm way more interested in than the sort of half-assed economies of most of dune 2 and the the warcraft likes that would come later uh, i just really wanted to have uh, an army of kobold archers run into an elite group of dwarves who just massacred them and left their corpses on the ground and uh ambush at sornor and walls of rome were two attempts to kind of take this genre in different directions um uh, they're, they're both by Minecraft, which is the uh, company that made the magic handle, and is, I believe, totally collapsing at this point, so they're throwing things at the wall. Ambush at Sorinor is a game where you, uh, it directly uses the siege engine and is uses the units, though I'm not sure it's in the world, I'm not sure, it was confusing, but it's it's a game where you're like a mercenary uh, commander who's doing these very quick little missions instead of these giant sieges, um, and you're it should have been, you know, a cool battle brothers like game where you're, you know, in the trenches of trying to make sure you have the money to accomplish the things that you need to do. It just really did not work for me. They did something with the interface that made me bounce off it completely. And walls of Rome is an attempt to take siege and make it more of a war game. Um, get get the historical strategy stuff uh it made the the combat um a little more diffused so you were fighting over a whole bunch of different places at a wall instead of just trying to take down the flag at the center of the castle that would turn siege into a like specific meat grinder uh at at like one choke point um but anyway uh they both didn't really work walls of rome was not a game that i had too much fun with uh i appreciated what they were trying to do and making the the game series different it just didn't quite work and uh it turned into an evolutionary dead end and that was unfortunate is there anything
0: else that we want to talk about here with regards to like what we call grand st- again like it's not these are awkward terms for this era
2: well i'm not sure merchant merchant prince isn't quite grand strategy but it really doesn't fit anywhere else Because it looks like a grand strategy game, but it's really not. Uh, Merchant Prince came out in 93, but it's probably better known to people from... It was uh, published by... It was developed by QQP, but it was published by who?
1: When I went to the Wikipedia site to confirm the, the year... Uh, it said there were like three incarnations of it, and each yeah, of them had uh, a different was, publisher. So it,
2: it, it, was, it was published by QQP. Published by QQP, but developed by, by Holistic Gaming. That's right. But it's best known by it still by its sequel. Well, it's it's actually it's direct copy. Still by Holistic Gaming, only changed name a bit, but published by Microprose <laughs> a couple of years later as Machiavelli virtually the same game, just a slight, slight reskin. And it is probably one of my favorite games of the early 90s, even though it's kind of broken and wonky. Uh, you know, the idea is you're a renaissance merchant prince and you uh, trade your goods from one city to the next and you explore the map and you try to make yourself the doge of Venice by through murder, through bribery, through controlling cardinals, through you know, all of the stuff that Machiavelli writes about in The Prince don't have much regard for his discourses, which I kind, of, kind of a shame because The Discourse really is a much good. more interesting book. It's a much more interesting book than The Prince. Read The Discourses on Livy. Do not read Machiavelli's Art of War, though, because it'll put you to sleep. Uh, but Merchant Prince, I think one of my favorite things about it is it's art. It is a game that took the idea of exploration int- seriously in that the map would be there would be fixed maps or random maps, or at least Machiavelli there were. I think there were merchant prints as well. Uh, but all you, all you saw clearly was the immediate world around the Mediterranean. Everything else was kind of like an historic parchment map, and it would give you vague ideas of where cities were or where uh, land might be. It was just a vague idea. It could be really accurate, and the closer you were to it, Closer it was to your starting point, the more accurate it would be. The further out, except if it's a great city right around the corner, nope, it's a lot further out, and there are pirates on the way, and you might not make it. Um, and this, I mean, the random maps, this actually became a very important thing. You might think you're sailing in the direct, you're running out of money, you think you're sailing in the direction of a great spice island, but it's just empty water. Because your maps are, because the randomly generated map is wrong. Uh, Is there an island around there? Is there a city nearby? You don't know. Um, And you can compete for offices in Venice. So you can become uh, the engineer. So you can build roads and the roads would connect cities where you controlled the trade. Or you could become uh, the general and you could shut down trade where your rivals are powerful by attacking the city. And there are so there are ways you could manipulate the economy uh, by controlling or locking out rivals and this sort of thing. And Merchant Prince is such a it's such a trifle, but it's a fun little trading game where you learn. You, you have if you the really really big monies and spices, but can you? get enough spices to make it worthwhile, to make the trip worthwhile, or you just keep trading relics to Constantinople. Maybe that's the best thing you can do, is just keep selling relics. Uh, so it's really an outstanding game that I wish, you know, maybe it's the kind of thing that maybe uh, GOG.com should look for getting the rights to, because it's a fun little game uh, done by um, Ed Pike, I think, was a lead on that. At least the lead designer. Uh, he didn't do a whole lot. Emperor of the Fading Suns was his other big title. Oh wow! Uh, okay. He did the design on that. I think it was, and according to Moby, that's the last thing he did. Merchant Prince, Machiavelli, and Emperor of the Fading Suns, and that's you know a pretty good record. I'm not sure what happened to him after that. Uh, so he's so it's certainly a game I think people should look for if they can find it somewhere. It's a game that I discovered after 1993. And it was like, wow, this is. And I discovered the Machiavelli version. Then I played the Merchant Prince version. There's not a whole lot of difference between them. The, the MicroProse version is, is shinier, um, and it's really an outstanding trading game that has you know some strategic elements. You can see it reflected in the designs of you know the Guild and Port Royal uh, and games like that, where you have a domestic. Offices you have to run for and control, and there's domestic popularity you need to control. But really, the job is yep. going to foreign ports and shutting them and and finding a really good profit. Except, you know, you don't have the fun exploration stuff that you do in Machiavelli. So,
1: uh, uh, the Internet Archive Software Library has both Merchant Prince and Machiavelli the Prince. I don't know if they're they're particularly effective at running. I remember when we tried Warlords Three.
2: I've had such bad luck with that. I mean people's gonna play these games. But you really, really can't. They the interface does not work very well, yeah. I find, uh on them. Uh, but you th- you out. can
1: also download it and run it straight in your own DOS box. Uh
2: yes, which may which may work
1: better. Yeah, that's almost certainly going to work better than trying to run it in a browser. So Troy, this is this is a genre that has kind of kept on the the there's just been like one or two of these sort of trading games released every year since. Uh, do you feel like this is this was kind of the peak of it here, and these other, you know, Patrician and whatever games are um, not doing a good job, or having a different focus, or do you feel like this is, you know, the start of something good?
2: I think these ones because of the exploration and you know, some of the and the limitation of because I think the the, the issue with the Patrician games and the port royals and the guilds all of which have you know some really good iterations and some you know why are you selling me this again iterations uh there's often not a lot of character in them for one thing uh they're often you know very they're they're very northern german
1: <laughs> uh
2: they've got a, a very austere uh seriousness to them uh largely um there's They're very economics focused, and I think, you know, it's, it's, it's very, it's, some of the, the differences between them are some hard to parse out, some of them put a little more emphasis on rising up through the politics of your guild, through the politics of your city, some have uh, just build a big fortune and build a nice house, uh, sort of stuff, some add foreign missions, Uh, there's, I think a game called, called Rise of Venice or something from a couple of years ago. Which you know was quite quite good, I thought uh had a really large map, I think its size worked against it uh but you you do have these historical training games popping up they they often are largely look the same uh there's not much to distinguish them from each other, and I think that's kind of a problem uh and none of them are top down they're all you know they're not a whole lot of they all look good, but they kind of all look identical and they all have the same perspective. I think that is really hard for the consumer. To, it's hard for me to keep them straight sometimes, and I think I've played pretty much all of them for a few hours at least. Um, I'm not going to say Merchant Prince was the peak of this. I think it is uh, one of the games that is, it kind of shows the, how far you could go with just character and personality in strategy games then, uh, as opposed to now. So few strategy games have worked to have character, I think, I think Amplitude's is probably the best at doing this on and off. I think that they at least try to put, you know, personality into their games. I'm not going to, other people can judge how good Paradox is at it. But, you know, when you were just, Merchant prince is just a training game. You're just moving your boats along. However, you could hire arsonists to burn down your rival's villa, or you can hire an assassin to murder the Pope so you can become a Pope. You know, these are the types of, It's just kind of what you could do as being pope. You could excommunicate one of your rivals. Great. Then he can't trade in Catholic cities. That's wonderful. Um, But that won't last forever for some reason. Uh, So but the the, the look of it, the, you know, kind of villainy of it. uh, There's a lot of games. These trading games are really just about the trade. Uh, it's not about being a not about being a leader, it's about being being a businessman. It's about, it's about being a capitalist. Merchant Prince is not about being a capitalist, but it's about being a merchant prince. The deal is about being a capitalist.
1: Uh, I think that one of the trends or I'm not sure a lot of the games that we're we're looking at here are in this sort of weird pseudo management uh genre or uh we can put in that genre for the purposes of our conversation one that i wanted to talk about just for a couple minutes because it's such a weird little game is uh, princess maker 2 this is a japanese series of game where you're like the royal tutor for a princess and you like guide her growth um is it a strategy game like maybe not necessarily it gets like in rpg section sometimes it's it's kind of got a visual novel style look a lot of the time but it is basically about trying to manage how this person that you are dealing with will grow up to become a good ruler um and it's about managing your time and her time and figuring out you know the things to focus on and the things not to focus on and um this one is i think the only one of the series that got translated into english and just showed up on abandonware sites all over so a bunch of people have played it for like across the next 10 years and but there's have fairly fond memories of having played this game randomly and uh it's the kind of thing that you know i don't it would be hard to do a whole strategy game show on but as a shout out for this year i think that uh it's, it's worth talking about as one of the many odd management games that we, we see in 1993. And along lo- those lines, have any of you ever played Buzz Aldrin's Race into Space? No, never did.
2: I think I tried and I was bored.
1: <laughs> it, it, I remember there were a lot of strategy games, people who really liked Buzz Aldrin's Race into Space at the time. It was a game where you took control of either the American or Russian space program and uh managed it in order to, you know, win the race into space and uh that's an interesting management yeah. thing that we we have only gotten like bits and pieces occasionally since I remember playing an early access game along those lines a couple of years ago that was just not ready and I never went back to it.
2: I mean the 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 the, 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 the Kerbal space programs kind of the epitome of that. I, right? I think I mean... this is more
1: about like the e- economics of, you know, what you're investing in with that one as opposed to the the you know build your spaceship yeah the science and the the piloting but i could be wrong like i said i haven't played it but yeah
2: if if i if if i can't have one of those minion one of those little minion bastards orbiting to his death i'm not (laughs) interested
1: fair enough all right and then uh
2: but no, it's it a game that I recall being around. I think like I've dabbled in it, but it never really appealed to me for some reason. Other people, listeners, if you played it and you've liked it, let us know, because I have only the vaguest recollection of Buzz Aldrin's Space Race.
1: Um, and I think if we're talking about management games, this brings us to uh, probably the undisputed best game strategy game of this year, uh, except that it might not be this year, uh, SimCity 2000. Uh, before before we talk about that i've been trying to figure out because i would i did some research into like what year simcity 2000 came out most things said it came out in 1994 um then i i saw i think maybe wikipedia said that it came out in 1993 on mac and then 94 on pc um and i tried to dig into this further and eventually found that when it was exhibited in the moma they had it set as 93 so we're going with 93 um if that's wrong oh well we're going to talk about SimCity anyway
2: well again when we do 1994 then we can't talk about SimCity 2000 (laughs) this
1: is true but 94 has XCOM and Panzer General so I think we'll be fairly well set at the top tier there Uh, whereas uh, the uh, 93 only has Master of Orion as the big starring game um, where SimCity 2000 is you know Probably the dominant city builder game in the way that Civilization became the dominant uh, 4X game, and it, it codified the the idea of the city manager genre.
2: Yeah, I mean, SimCity 2000, I think, is. I mean, I really liked like SimCity 4, but for me, SimCity 2000 was kind of. It was kind of, It was. I played the first SimCity, but SimCity 2000 was my SimCity. That was the one that I played the most. That I. That I spent the most time in, one that I could probably pick up and play immediately right now. If you give it to me, I would, I would know the interface. I would know where everything was. I have so many hours into it. It is, it is where, it is it it is the city manager that probably killed all rival city managers. You don't get many. You don't get modern you know, SimCity. There are no rivals to Sim once SimCity 2000 comes out. It's inconceivable. There will be another SimCity-ish type game, yeah, like just like Civ, just like just like Civ drives out historical grand strategy SimCity. It both invents and then completely crushes uh, its entire genre of modern uh, city building uh, no, no, game. The, the modern you-
1: thing is, a, is an important caveat because. You got the impressions yes, games coming. You, you,
2: give, course, you have the, you have the impressions games, but they're very different. They're doing very very different things uh, because they are the impression city builders are are are, are very are generally mission focused. They're on campaigns. They're on goals. They're not this free sandbox type thing. Yes, SimCity 2000 has some scenarios in it. You know, stop all the crime in Detroit, sort of stuff. Or recover from the hurricane but people played it as a sandbox uh they take it with their maps and they'd build an ideal map to build their ideal city the impressions games had their sandbox and people a lot of people played them like that but generally uh they were they were a campaign games they were learning and teaching you as you go through meeting new challenges so they're and of course they are historical you don't have to worry about your water supply in a lot of them. Some of them you do, some of them you don't. But there's no subways you need to worry about. Uh, no one's going to vote you out of office, which yeah, they the, can do. The, the, I mean, the, the 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 king might come down if you come out of out of, out of out of out of if you buy out of money. But generally, you know, there's quite a bit more flexibility, I think, uh, in the designs of the Impressionist games. But SimCity 2000 makes sure there's not going to be anybody else coming after sim city for a I, while. I
1: i like how this is an elaborate way to talk about how amazing it is that C- city skylines took the crown uh good w- good paradox work there troy uh <laughs>
2: i was not doing any <laughs> such thing you're if you were to look at my 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 steam hours i have like very few hours in skylines it's actually kind of a, an internal <laughs> shame how little time i've spent in city skylines
1: uh, I mean, one of the things that even, even though there's a lot of ways that, like, the Impressions games and the ones that came later are different responses to a different a, a sort of city builder mode, there's still SimCity 2000-like in that, you know, with SimCity 2000, everyone agreed that, yeah, the, this isometric perspective is the way that these city builders should be done. Because SimCity, the original SimCity was top-down. And you kind of have everything building off of, uh, the entire aesthetic of SimCity 2000, even though it's, uh, not necessarily within the same exact genre when you have talking about the historical one specifically. Um, there's also like the, the idea of, uh, the aesthetic of the, uh, kind of jazzy post-war American city, uh, that's still in Sim or in C- City Skylines these days, and every Sim City that came after it uses, you know, this similar kind of upbeat but soothing soundtrack. Uh, all this idea of building toward the size skyscrapers as the the top of, you know, getting getting that Manhattan skyline. Those are all kind of SimCity 2000 descendants. Sim City 2000 also didn't it also sort of try to push into
0: some like. Not quite sci fi, but like near future, like sort of end game advancements you get for your city. I seem yeah. to recall, like, Shears in their plants. marketing, they really pushed some like future city. They, yeah. Our
2: colleges, our, our culture, just really high population structures, uh, more than anything else. Um, they're at the very top of the budget pyramid. Um, they're very expensive. They take up very little space to hold a huge population. Lots of crime, so you want to build like you know eight police stations around your new cyberpunk paradise. Uh, but yeah, they, they pushed a, a little bit to that. Um, but you know, generally your cities ended up looking pretty much the same, which is an issue with you know most city builders until you get modders really involved in things. Um, you could buy, as I recall, um, I'm not sure if it was. I think it was since two thousand, where there were. Uh, other building sets you could buy, but I might be confusing it with SimCity I, 3. I think that
1: was the original. Had, you could get like the Western one and stuff like that.
2: Uh, maybe, yeah, that too.
1: But there was a lot of SimCity 2000 stuff out there. This was the golden era of Maxis just making Sim everything. Um, and it, it's one of those games that got the major CD re-release, although I don't remember what they added with the CD. Uh, but... You know it 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 was kind of like missed. it was just constantly in stores for years afterward uh because there were so many different incarnations of it and it deserved it you know it was a fantastic game it might have it might have damaged kind of a nascent city builder idea but i don't feel like it's got the same level of uh everything coming after it being entirely just a clone of that in the way that you see with the master of orion games particularly two, as we talked about, but one is still part of that.
0: No, I think in some ways it might have actually been beneficial to have SimCity sort of corner the market on that kind of city builder, because I think that that lets impressions games and uh, stuff like the later Anno series carve out their own identities independent of uh, SimCity in a way that like four xs are never independent of mu two, uh, for instance. Uh, so in some ways, like SimCity two thousand created almost like checked off a box in some ways. And like if you're going to enter that genre, if you're going to enter that space, uh, it's to do something else because for until relatively recently, like. Maxis sort of had that on lockdown. Then they sort of, you know, butterfingered it away uh, with with the final Sim City, uh, but obviously uh, City Skylines has sort of scooped it up and uh, and, and run with it. But uh, but I do think, like in some ways, that it was maybe I don't know if it was saying it's helpful implies causality. That's not really what it's about. The city builder genre has not suffered. Uh, for SimCity 2000's dominance in the way that other genres have sort of suffered under uh, the example of one of their founding texts
1: it's interesting to see like which games we've we've seen ha- move in this direction like we talk about civilization and historical strategy games have a lot of variety we talk about master of orion and the space games do not necessarily have that variety although troy did mention uh empire of the fading suns which comes out i think in like 96 97 that uh, it does a different thing but in general everything's trying to do Master of Orion and what what the reasoning for uh, some classic games create an opening and some classic games slam the door is uh, probably one that we should try to examine at some point
2: So do you want to talk about war games? Because there are so many great war games this year
1: We could do war games, we can do weird puzzle strategy games, or we can do tactics games
2: well, we're already, we're already well over an hour in here, so...
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, these, these could generally be shorter. We've covered the main ones, except for Clash of Steel, which is a pretty big deal. Uh, I think that's where we should start with the war games.
2: I mean, the two big ones for me are Clash of Steel and, and Fields of Glory. Those are the two big war games this year. Now, Rob, Fields of Glory is a title you come back to time and time and time yeah, again.
0: Yeah, no, it's like my... It's sort of the... Uh...
2: It, it, it was one of your founding texts. Yeah,
0: pretty much. Uh, I mean like 1993, I can like vividly remember being in a, a massive, uh, I think it was a Babbage's on the South side of Chicago, um, sort of standing in the computer games aisle and holding, uh, a copy of fields of glory versus a compilation. I think of, uh, the V for victory series, uh, that, that also those games came out this year. Uh, And V for Victory was a good, but like very sort of what you consider traditional, uh, you know, Hex war game, uh, lots of counters, uh, very sort of crude graphics. Uh, Fields of Glory is kind of, I would argue, pointing the way that a lot of, uh, like I think Fields of Glory is is pointing toward what games like Shogun will do, uh, you know, seven, eight years later. Uh, It is a very conscious attempt to recreate sort of the spectacle and, uh, you know, splendor of the 19th century uh, battlefield. Uh, It's a short game about uh, the Hundred Days campaign, uh, basically, that followed Napoleon's return uh, from Elba. And even by the time I was sort of—there was a point when I was a kid where I realized, like, oh— The AI is really easy to spoof in this game. Like once it sort of runs out of its uh, scenario, start scripting, it really becomes pretty hopeless uh, in some ways. Uh, I won a few major battles with like almost no losses because like the AI really struggled against uh, really cleverly placed artillery. You could, you could really game it that way, Uh, but it didn't really matter because like Fields of Glory was, was really about showing massed formations of troops uh, sort of, you know, smacking into each other and, uh, you know, really deafening volleys of musket fire and, uh, you know, booming cannons, uh, you know, drum rolls, uh, you know, trumpet calls to, to signal troops. It was uh, a tremendous spectacle. And uh, it, was, it was really resonant with me at the time. And to an extent, like, I think Fields of Glory understood what people would want from like war games and, and, and historic, like it understood what people would want from like historical gaming uh, in, in the future. And it delivered it at a very early date. And for a while, it didn't seem like anything was going to really take up that mantle, but, you know, in a lot of ways, I would argue, uh, you know, these days, a lot of games are, are sort of following in the footsteps of fields of glory.
1: Yeah. You look at, the screenshots, I never actually played this, but you look at the screenshots and you can see the Total War, which you mentioned, and also the Sid meyer's Gettysburg and its descendants. Uh, just in terms of it wants to make, you know, wargaming aesthetically gratifying uh, and show the spectacle as much as it does have the battles. Um, even a lot of real time strategy games, I think. Yeah. Especially when you get to like Age of Empires using its formations.
0: Yeah, no, that's, that's very true as well. A lot of later RTSs would, would try to provide a similar sort of spectacle uh, and variety out there. Uh, but, uh, Troy, tell me a little bit about Clash of Steel.
2: Well, Clash of Steel, I think, is, if not the first, it's one of the first attempts to make a grand strategy World War II game, which has uh, some politics, uh, some economics and production, very simple and, you know, but still focus on the war. It was kind of a proto-Hearts of Iron. This is a game I came to probably in the late 90s, so af- well after this. You know, I, remember, I remember where I got this. And it was in a, what, was the, what was called the world's biggest bookstore. Was it? Uh, no. God, no. Uh, but it was a very big bookstore uh, in Toronto, which just shut down uh, a few years ago. Uh, very good a uh, very good selection. They had an electronic section, they had some jewel cases, and I picked this up then, uh, just for something to play while I was between, uh, research readings on my thesis. It was, it is a very simple game. It's, there's not a whole lot to it. It's not, you're not going to be building huge hearts of iron, uh, type armies here. Um, and even the commander series, I think, has kind of surpassed it. It's a very small map, but you do have you know industrial centers you need to take, and you do have the possibility of well, maybe I don't want to invade Denmark as Germany. Maybe I'll put keep political pressure on Denmark so the Allies can't come down from the north and just keep them neutral. Uh, you have these sorts of it's. It's pretty closely railroaded, but there are, you know, paths you can take. You can, you can, you know, keep the low countries out of the war as Germany. As the Allies, you can um, try to win without the Soviets. Uh, it's harder, but you can try to do it. There are all of these, but it's still, you know, the, you know people who play it would recognize it as a, as a proto-Hearts of Iron, because you have the Allies, and you have uh, the Axis, and you have the Communists. You have the three different sides, the same as uh, we do in Hearts of Iron. You have... Um, you have production centers that you have to protect. You know, all your, your factories are in certain areas, and each area produces some pro, some production. Uh, the Ruhr Valleys, where all the great stuff is, so Germany's got to protect that. If it loses that, it's kind of done. Uh, you have uh, some research, where you can Im- tank, it's, you know, it's tank level one, tank level two, uh, that sort of thing. But there is a, a research arm, which can lead to some very, very powerful weapons at the end. So you do have again, this idea that people want to play something kind of like Axis and Allies, I guess, uh, which would be the very first Grand Strategy uh, World War II game. would be Axis and Allies. This is kind of like Axis and Allies, except there's no Pacific Theater. It's just the European Theater. And it's not a crappy game like Axis and Allies is. It's a good game. Uh, and it's a game I have a lot of fondness for. I mean, we always have... I didn't have a whole lot of games uh, then because I had to spend all of my money on, you know, trying to eat. Well, so 93,
0: if you're
2: uh, so buying a game, it's going to be 50 bucks. Like to, yeah, well, this was, I think it was like 25 bucks or something in, in, in a jewel case. So this was later, but still 25 bucks for a graduate student. Uh, when I should have been buying a book at the world's biggest bookstore, uh, it's probably not, you know, wasn't one of the wisest use of my money, but you know, if you're going to speak to my wife back then, she'll probably tell you, you know, the best spending habits. Um, I think it's a game that is worth looking at if you're interested in the evolution of uh, very specific historical grand strategy-ish things. Uh, I think you can see its influence in, you know, probably some of the age-odd stuff. You can definitely see its influence in uh, the making history games and in Hearts of Iron, but probably more than making history games because of how it abstracts so much stuff. It is a game worth looking at. Um, It's not a game worth... It's not a game worth looking for screenshots of, because the screenshots, you'll look at this and you'll think, I'm totally insane. Uh, It is a very, very ugly game, and it's still an ugly game. Uh, I think it is... I think it's still worth checking out for historical reasons, Um, though certainly it's been been improved on since. But if it's not the first historical Grand Strategy World War II game for the pc it is certainly
1: one of it's the first good one i think this this was the the narrative that surrounded yeah. it and like the computer yeah. gaming world and stuff was that they really didn't believe that you could have an actual grand war game of all of world war ii and have it be any good in part because uh previous attempts had not been great um, i'm not sure if there were full games of it but there were things like the uh um universal military simulator had a world war ii scenario and it was bad Uh, so there was this idea that this was a nut that had to be cracked and um, clash of steel was the game that did that like i remember uh, i was playing a game as the germans and uh, had to decide whether i was going to try to invade spain or not because if you can take gibraltar you can knock out malta and take over North Africa way easier. So it's a it's the sort of game that has those manner of decisions that you didn't get. Like when you compare uh the other the other war game that we ha- I had listed here, uh Gary Grigsby's War in Russia, which is just this monumentally huge, incredibly granular What if uh, someone
0: tried to make War in the East in nineteen ninety three? Right.
1: Like this was, you know, the the selling point for this game was uh this is a simulation Remember of the entire through? the entire eastern front down to the last soldier like they the squads had individuals in them or whatever it was um you know it, it was the sort of thing that you wanted to do if you wanted to just go as big as possible or clash of steel you know you could play a campaign in I think like five or six hours uh i might be I might Someone be a little did, yeah. low on that, but it's it's got this you know here is a playable world War two actual war game like it's attempting to simulate how these battles were fought in the way that they were fought and um that's that was an impressive feat at the time and i think it's more a feat of um, interface and design than it is like a, um one that's a technical issue which it makes it more impressive these days um so yeah that's it's a it is a very solid game in a way that was a surprise. Did anyone play cohort
0: two?
2: Cohort two, uh, is one of impressions, biggest mistakes. Uh, it was the cohort games, cohort one and two were, we all remember the impression city builders. And one thing, the impression city builders were bad at was armies. Um, and cohort one and two were attempts to graft a war game onto their city builders, and you could buy them separately. But the idea was the cohort games would somehow plug into Caesar one, and you would fight your battles in the cohort interface
1: oh, somehow.
2: Wow. Uh, and then they ended up, but they'd be separate. And they ended up being separate uh, items, and they are. They they play like they look. <laughs> yeah. very, they're clumsy. I mean, you give you give you know, you give your line orders and they execute their orders. Yeah, they're very they're very very clumsy. Uh, it was a very awkward solution to a problem they could have solved by not having armies to control at all. Um, it's a very easy thing. Just don't have armies in your city builder. It's not <laughs> thing you have to have. But they kept chasing this. They kept. You know, chasing the idea that Romans you gotta have legionnaires because the Romans are always fighting somebody. Yeah, well, they were, but they were also building cities where no one was yeah. around. So uh, the cohort, the cohort games were. It, it's one of those historical oddities, and the fact that it's, it's kind of the ambition of the early nineties, right? That well, all we have to do is make a game, make a separate mini game. It's a, it's a mini game if you think about it. But they they ended up retailing it separately, but it was intended to be part of their larger game. And it was just this ridiculous, ambitious vanity that they thought they could pull this off. Uh, Kudos for trying.
1: This was also a thing that the uh, rules of engagement and, oh god, I forgot the tactical version, but this was a space series that where, you know, your ship-to-ship combat, and then when you had, like, an invasion of your marines, it would switch over to a totally different tactical game. Breach, that was what it was called. So these games were supposed to plug in with one another, which always seems like the coolest idea until you actually have to do it. Um, Nowadays, we just give everything an RPG uh, overlay and call it good. All right, so let's start locking in
0: what, like, our... Pixar for for like the things that best like were the, were the strongest entries uh, in their genre okay. uh, of oh. the era.
1: I do think we should talk about tactics. This is a, a really interesting tactical year. We can try to be fast here. Got to be real fast. All right. I I can't talk about Syndicate, but that's a big one for a lot of people. I totally missed it somehow. Well, I'll be,
0: have... I'll be covering it for RTS because uh, I think it's the only thing that even remotely qualifies for this year.
1: Oh, Fields of Glory, maybe. <laughs> Eh, that's more war game that's a war game uh if if we're talking about that in that direction uh in terms of console games you have a the sort of prototype of what would become the tactics game what comes the tactics game after ogre tactics final fantasy tactics is this really specific fantasy aesthetic with incredibly intricate mechanics that you can go into for weeks and weeks and weeks uh but that's not the way that it had to be. Uh Shining Force 2 is possibly my favorite uh Japanese tactics game and it's just a simple, you know, here's your here's your people, make them attack. Um it's charming, it's got incredible music and it's one of my all-time favorites uh both as a JRPG and as a tactics game. In a different totally different direction, you have uh Ogre Battle which is actually kind of a jrpg slash grand strategy slash war game slash rts in fact i might say that's the best rts of this year uh and it's on the super nintendo it's a really fascinating experiment in how to do a strategy game on the console that is not like virtually any other attempt to do this you have eight different or ten different squads of um like uh heroes and monsters and the heroes can level up so you start them as like little little footmen types and they eventually become like huge vampire heroes or whatever uh well, the vampires might be their own specific thing and you can like mix wizards and monsters and all these cute little things that they're not uh and then when you, they get into fight with enemy squads it's not a thing you control it's just kind of a thing that you watch and it's fast and it's fun and you're Trying to slowly take over the map by figuring out all these different ways to min max how you are which which units you want to have fighting other enemy units when what what you're taking advantage of i I am a big fan of the idea of that game, and the the game itself is also pretty good so that's my my delve into uh, where the console tactics games were going at this point
0: yeah i never like I never really got on with those I think because like the moment anything started to smack of that classic JRPG, like, ah, the ice wizard can't attack the ice creature because it's strongest. Like, anytime I got a hint of that, I was like, all right, peace out. That's not how war works. <laughs> yeah, I was but a little watching anime. What can I say? Yeah, well, I, I think uh, Legend of Galactic Heroes transcends its uh, transcends medium. But anyway. How um, have you fallen? So... Let's think on this a little bit. Uh, So in terms of what do we think
1: is the best war game of this year? I mean, Clash of Steel is the only one of the three big ones we've pointed out here that I've played, and I liked it. So I'm going to pick that.
2: Yeah, I'd probably go with Clash of Steel as well. Um, But, you know, the Viva Victory games are Okay. Yeah, but it's gonna. But what we talked about, Fields of Glory and Clash of Steel for Reese. I think those are the two. The Fields of Glory. I mean, you even say the AI is janky, but it's so pretty.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm really, I'm really torn. I, I can't. Troy, you've played both of them, like.
2: Yeah, I need help I mean, here because, like, I, I would, I would go with Clash of Steel because I think it is. You know, I think it's a, I think it's a more solid game. I think it's a more wide ranging game, uh, but. You know, guards, the Imperial Guards, I know. you know. God,
0: the gorgeous flags, the bi- <laughs> the biographies of every general and unit history for every brigade, uh was just an absurd, like it was basically somebody took swords around a throne and made a war game out of it. Um But I do feel like for all for as gorgeous as it is, um there was a lot of smoke and mirrors there that like once I saw past them. I also couldn't argue, like, I don't think I can, I I don't think I can put it up against Clash of Steel fairly, because, like, that sounds like it legitimately held together.
2: Yeah, I I think it's a legitimately great game for it,
0: Sarah. Uh, Best Management and City Builder. Um, Now, remember, I I think we sort of set a rule that, like, things can't be listed twice. Like, the best strategy game can't also win a subgenre, so, like...
1: I don't it, think we set it as a rule. We just have a way that we.
0: It was a negotiation we did last time around.
2: It, yeah, I think, it was a, I think I think it was a negotiation we did for that for that particular year. Just some, be, because we didn't want to, route.
1: you know, have trench warfare about Sid Meier's Gettysburg versus yeah. Market Garden. But uh, I mean, this
0: is your chance to, like, <laughs> in terms of management, like. Did anyone anyone here gonna stand for Tom Landry strategy football? Uh, I
2: really like Tom Landry strategy yeah, football. Yeah, here we go. See, this is what I was trying to get uh, at. But SimCity 2000 is a better game. I mean, Tom, Tom Landry strategy football is, you know, one of the. I mean, it and Toyota Rusa Baseball too were both very, very important games. Uh, Total War: Baseball ended up creating this whole franchise that kept going on and on. But it was still primarily an action sports game. It had a really good management system and league simulation, but it was really primarily an action sports game. You control the batter, you control the pitcher. Tom Landry's strategy football, you controlled nothing but the plays. All you did was call the plays. Uh, you just ran the team, and that's it. Then you had to watch them play out. Uh, and I think that's a really important innovation. I think they did it really, really well. Uh, the playbook was excellent. Uh, you could drop your own plays. It was really good. But SimCity 2000 is still the best
0: but it could be the best strategy game of the year, and it no. give a nod to a sports game. Um, I'm making that offer. Did Tony Troy Rusa have a management aspect.
2: It to to an extent. I mean, you could you could you could trade for players. So you could run you could run your leagues. You could simulate your leagues. Yeah. Uh, it was kind of a, It became a big thing um, in the series. A bigger thing in the series later on. But you could do it in you know, Detroit Baseball too, I believe.
1: Um, Troy, did you play Front Page Sports Football? I did not okay that that was the big one in the era that i i felt like people thought like it was supposed to be an action game but it got turned into like the the hardcore simulation football thing Um, i mean there
0: were people still carrying a grudge about that like into the 2000s that like well madden is fine but the real game that did it all was front page
1: yeah uh, it, it was a big thing. Uh, that came out the year before, so I was wondering if you could compare that to Tom Landry because I hadn't even heard of that one.
2: Now, Moby Games has Front Page Sports Football Pro is 93.
1: Front Page Sports Football Pro? Oh, okay, no, Front
2: right, Page Sports Football is 92. You're right. Okay, there it is. Thank um, you. Is, right, is
1: actually right. the one that I think people love the most, so okay. we can probably slot that one in here real nice and uh, maintain our maintain our
2: uh that doesn't matter SimCity 2000 is still better than both of them
1: yeah but if if we want to give a different award for each time alternately we could give every award to do let's not spend half the
2: show let's not spend half the show fighting over what the award categories are
0: well mathematically there's no way we can spend the half half the show doing anything at this point Uh, oh oh, i don't know (laughs) we're 100 minutes in
2: uh just get me started on betrayal of condor we'll see
0: Oh god! Oh, yeah. I, like I have never bounced off a classic so hard. When did you play it? Uh, when PC Gamer put it out for free on their disc years
1: later, because that was okay. like it was pre-codes. Yeah, it had a weird aesthetic that the later you got away from, or the further you got away from it, the harder it was to get into. But man, if you could get into it, that was a fucking game. All right. But yeah, Front Page Sports Football Pro added real players and teams. They got the license. So that's, in many ways, the, the better incarnation of that and should have been on this list. Uh, so my bad on that. No, nah, but, but
0: I don't think any of us... Did any of us really play it?
1: I did. You did? Um, I think I actually played the original from 92 more, Okay, so hold on. But uh i i i recognized what was going on with front page sports football pro and and appreciated it i think i just you know so how did it distinguish itself from
0: you said it was supposed to be action but then it got better known as a management franchise
1: right it basically had the depth in its uh gm and coaching uh simulation aspects where you could go for you know hundreds of seasons and simulate it that you could play it without the action component entirely and be reasonably satisfied was the action Uh, fun the action was pretty good um i remember it was very easy to run a play where you just had the tight end run ahead 15 yards and throw the and the quarterback through to him and it always worked uh so that was a bit of an issue but if you if you stopped exploiting the game, uh, <laughs> Right. It, it it was a reasonably good football game, yeah. Okay. I mean to the point
0: where you would say that if we're giving strategy game to SimCity that like it's worth citing as a great management game. I mean it
2: Not at a level of not a level of Sim City, really. Yeah, yeah
1: but we're saying that if, if Sim City is disqualified because we all agree that it's the best strategy game of this year. Then. Which I
0: think it probably is. Like, I, I yeah, just don't it, see
1: a competitor for the best strategy yeah. game of t- 1993
0: on this list.
2: It really isn't. Yeah. I mean, it is It's, it is it's to only competition
0: to, yeah. is its release date, whether it actually was 1993 or not. <laughs> well, but, and we've made that choice. It's not going to yeah. be in
1: 1994 uh, because of this, uh, like, Phantom Mac version. Uh there's also i don't know what you would call lemmings too but i played the hell out of lemmings too yeah i does uh, you it,
0: italicize that you're like yeah that's a strategy game okay sure is it no no
1: it is not it, it's this the, these weird like pseudo puzzle games like uh no, they're 100 the puzzle games aren't they but there's a strategic component to them what like managing the how the lemmings go i don't know no <laughs> No, I'm with Troy.
0: No.
2: Is the incredible machine a strategy game?
0: Is it strategic? Yes, Is Freddy Farcast Frontier Pharmacist a strategy
2: game? No, Lemmings is
0: Yeah, no. Alright, so like best strategy game is gonna be SimCity hands down. Um, there may not be another great management game unless Ro- Rowan, you feel that Front Page can credibly claim that throne
1: i think by reputation it can i didn't really play it that successfully in that way and neither of you guys did so we are going to have a struggle in doing yeah, that personally. you know what fuck it SimCity. But congratulations you take me. two awards for 1993 you're amazing <laughs> you deserve it we'll also give you some for 94 because
0: we're not sure all right all right so here's my case for like the rts genre basically doesn't fully exist yet uh it certainly hasn't taken off in 1993 uh the way it would later into the 90s but i wanted to throw syndicate into this mix uh because it actually in terms of like a lot of the rts skill set syndicate depends an awful lot on it like it's kind of an a- it, it is kind of an action shooter but the problem is that like it really is about like exploiting like exploiting the layout of these cyberpunk cities like it really is more of a tactically-minded game uh, than it is a shooter, uh, if for no other reason then a huge part of the game was using the Persuadertron to go around and collect herds of these little sprite civilians to become human shields uh, for your... like, mind-jacked human shields uh, for your squad of, uh, like, but trench-coated syndicate operatives. Um, and, I mean, when like... I freaking loved this game, in part because, like, when I encountered it, and I think I encountered it a few years later, uh, the idea that you could have a game that was, like, this gritty and this, like, in some ways, like, darkly mean-spirited was just astonishing to me. The first time, like, one of my agents picked up an Uzi and just, like... Mowed down a group of cops and like twenty civilians caught in the crossfire. I was like, "This is the greatest thing I've ever played" because I was a monster. Uh, but also, it was kind of my uh, the Wild Bunch moment uh, with with PC gaming, um, and I really feel like I really feel like it just it's st- it still is one of the most atmospheric and like coolly cyberpunk games I've ever played. Did anyone else get into
2: it? Not really. No, it's one of the big one of the big blind spots. Some yeah, history. me too.
1: I I always was kind of intrigued by the ads, but never actually got around to it. I think I picked it up on the free origin thing when they did that a couple of years ago. So I will. I have sent a Kit somewhere. Yeah, but... I wonder if it is the original though, cause like, no, it was I mean... the original. Okay, I think it was like an advertisement for the new one.
0: Yeah, which was also a cool game. Um. Okay, so we're looking at grand strategy games, uh is it
1: I mean, is it just Moo? I mean I, mean, I, I like Warlords 2 a lot, but I think that by even even given that it's hard to say it's not Moo. I, yeah. I played the fuck out of that game. But uh you know, I I would put in a a, a vote for Ogre Battle for real time strategy, but uh you know i never played syndicate you didn't play ogre battle so what are we going to do
0: we're definitely going to give it to syndicate all right (laughs) uh you should play ogre battle it's really interesting i will take a look at it um i certainly won't actually that's a that's a blatant lie uh i am not (laughs) going to look at it i don't we need to
1: we need to get you into the long war first that'll and you know when we come back in 2020
0: yeah exactly uh all right it's so the best game of this year just overall like wide open now yeah <laughs> it's got to be doom right i i mean overall what out of strategy games no you know, all games best game like best strategy game is sim city like
2: i mean you, you, you got you got x-wing
1: x-wing is so clearly surpassed by tie fighter though that it's really hard to argue for. Yeah,
0: I like X-Wing, but it's... Yeah, a... but, is
2: it surpass- but is it surpassed yeah, by... It for yeah, for sure I mean, the question fuck question is
0: here. surpassed that's by... Although, hang on. Wing Commander Privateer is this year? Yep. Okay, hold on. That changes <laughs> everything. Uh, did anyone
1: else like fall deep down the Privateer rabbit hole when it came out? I didn't get super deep into it, but I, I got I got close. I got to the end. I, you know, I'm a Sid Meier's Pirates guy. Oh god, yeah. that remake might have come out. Pirate's Gold. I don't think it came up this year. Yeah, but that yeah. That, that doesn't count. Uh, yes, it does. No, it, it, we can't. Oh like, shit, yeah. Fuck off. <laughs> <sighs> no, I mean, it's, it's a remake. Um, Pirate's should be set for 87 or whatever, but yeah. uh, Pirate's Gold is probably the incarnation of that that I played the most. It's the version uh, that probably most people played, actually. Yeah. Uh well Ish. the the two thousand three mm. remake also. Mm. Uh, but yeah, the the Pirates Privateer model is one that, you know, I can fall into very easily and just happen to go with Pirates Gold a little more than Privateer at in this era, but I totally understand everyone who got into Privateer. Oh, I loved Privateer. It was such
0: a uh like the Wing Commander series was, was cool if you could like look at the time it seemed real cool that you were fighting like a race of evil sentient space cats. Um in retrospect, maybe it seems a little less rad than it did uh back then. <laughs> but the cool thing is Wing Commander Privateer was like, okay, but now you can now you can live in this world. Now you can go and take missions and you're just a, a hired gun out on the frontier of this world caught up in the Civil War. Um And then there's kind of a like noir case of like mistaken identity and you're caught up in an investigation and have to go like sort of basically prove your innocence of a, of a crime. Um, Looking back on it, It was really freaking repetitive. <laughs> like, yeah. it was a huge universe, but there were only a few, like, bespoke locations. Like, New Detroit was sort of a cyberpunk city. Um, Oxford was a uh, basically a university planet, uh, stuff like that. Most everything else, it was, like, uh, Mining Station Layout 1, Mining Station Layout 2, and it would just alternate between those. The same
1: bartender. Uh, was it the same? Was was in every bar? Uh, and all the pilots you fight, there are only like two versions of each faction. Uh, yeah, it, it felt right.
0: Scarce. Yeah, it's it's super is, but it was the first game because I, I I totally missed the Elite series. It was the first game that uh like was like holy shit, I'm on a spaceship and I'm just like journeying on this open-ended journey uh, through space. Um, God, I adored that game. Uh, that Elite two is
1: this year also yeah for elite heads i, I also missed that
0: rebel assault uh just <laughs> some real trash just some real like real good uh cd-rom uh faux light gum like just garbage from from lucas arts that i was uh completely enthralled by uh at the time it <laughs> would it be that was amazing no, it like it was like it felt like you were you were you were sort of slammed into one of the movies, uh, because you basically were because it was basically running a a video on your screen of uh, some very cool Star Wars shit happening. And
1: um, you could you know aim slightly in one direction or the other.
0: Right, right. You could sort of like jutter your ship in one direction or, or the next, but mostly you just uh, mowed down Tie fighters as quickly as possible, uh, and then went on the assault of the Death Star. Uh, yeah, no. Who can forget the saga of Rookie One? It was, <laughs> it was legendary. Uh, but what I'm thinking of, like, legitimately, I think Doom is a great game. Like, not just important, but, like, it yeah. was.
2: Yeah, and it, it is a great it, it, was, it was a great game. We had so much fun.
0: I mean, and it was scary. Like, I remember, like, looking back on it now, I'm kind of amazed that it ever felt that scary. But, like, that game was oppressive and dark and terrifying to me uh, at the time like the cy- the cyber demon uh encounter is still one of the most traumatic gaming experiences i've ever had
1: just you know you hear the the demon breathing oh and finally God. come around the corner and it just snarls and bites you like yeah uh, yeah uh i mean th- this year also has my favorites in a lot of other genres uh if they're genres that i might even like more than First-person shooters, sometimes such uh, as Gabri- Gabriel Knight, is my favorite adventure a game. Great fucking game. Uh, that's that's just that's pretty well set in stone. Um, Gunstar Heroes might be my favorite platformer. Um, just such a really neat idea and implementation of those ideas uh with mixing different weapon types um i don't i probably don't like platformers more than i like first person shooters but i don't know that doom is absolutely my favorite first person shooter so you know there's there's a lot of things that are potentially going on here i mentioned shining force 2 possibly my favorite japanese tactics game um fantasy star 4 arguably my favorite jrpg pretty close to chrono trigger you know get lots of lots of really great stuff here but you know if i'm putting on a historian hat at any level it's got to be doom and at a personal level it's it's it's
2: fairly well doom troy do you have anything here that you want to no nothing really compares to doom i mean that's it's going to be doom as, as probably the game i had the most fun with in 1993 uh you know Early spring, you know, right before you know, term ends, I leave all my friends. You know, we all go to the computer lab and we put doom on the computers and we just shoot the face. Whoever's coming on the elevator, you're getting shot in the face. So that's just how it's going to work. You're going to spawn into that room. And you're going to get shot because uh, we <laughs> camped. We were we were not a lot that of fun was, to play with. Uh, when then,
0: I realized, like, because I because I did, didn't have the internet uh, at the at the time, so like. Stories of people playing Doom multiplayer, it was like people, like, it was like people had gone into space, basically. <laughs> I was like, holy shit, can you imagine what it must be like to like fight other people in Doom?
2: I mean, we, there was no real internet then. We just had the computer network. We just... As before that, when we wanted to do multiplayer, we'd have to take two computers to the same room and run a cable between them, and we would probably have play Populous multiplayer. Uh only way we could do multiplayer unless you're we doing something through a bbs but doom we just stuck to the computer because it was sh- it was shareware and you could do the shareware lot so, of multiplayer
1: so there is a game that i'm surprised rob hasn't mentioned and maybe i'm misremembering but uh weren't you a mech warrior dude rob not mech warrior one mech warrior okay. one is not a
0: very good game
1: okay so like when yeah. we get in two years when we're doing 95 or whatever that's yeah, what no, you know mech, it all is two, mech 2 is
0: a classic like mech 2 is important and i will you know i will represent for that one uh mech warrior was kind of more of a um it very much felt like a license but without a design to support it is kind of how it felt right like it it just didn't feel at all like a, a battle tech thing uh, so yeah we'll we'll get to mech warrior when it's when its era truly arrived
1: all right so now that we've answered all the easy questions it's time for the the most difficult one of 1993 okay that we can end on uh aladdin genesis or aladdin super nintendo at the time i really resented the the super nintendo version
0: which is the one i played didn't have like the sword fights it probably was the better game
1: I- I I had the Genesis one, and you know when I played them, they're both fairly even. But I think my memories of them tend to lean towards the Super Nintendo one. I think the the it kind of handled the animation and license a little bit better. So,
0: Troy, which was yours?
2: <laughs> Y'all yeah, a bunch of console weirdos from kids console kiddies.
0: And that will do it for this week. <laughs> we'll be back next week <laughs> with more strategy discussion. Well, uh, tomorrow produced hopefully Uh, through Moves head is produced as always by michael hermes and is hosted on the idle thumbs network you can learn more about the show and discuss this episode with our community at throughmovesahead.net or follow us on twitter at twitter.com slash 3ma finally through Moves Ahead is supported by listeners just like you on patreon you can learn more at patreon.com slash 3ma anyway we'll be back very soon with another episode of three moves ahead until then for troy for rowan this is rob zachney saying good night